Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Clear Thinking, brought to you by Better Broadhead. Our town, their future. Please welcome your host, Aaron Menzel. All right, today I'm having a conversation with Paul Krupsey, the Director of Opioid Initiatives with the Department of Health Services. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. So I was looking over your profile on DHSWisconsin.gov, and it states that you have 15 years of experience in substance use field. Can you kind of go into um, what that experience has entailed? Sure. So prior to working at DHS, I worked for nonprofit community-based organizations in both uh, California and Wisconsin, and primarily focused on environmental prevention through policy change to address substance use issues. So really focusing on creating policy at, uh, I have experience working at both the, the local, county, and state levels. Um, to impact community conditions and also systems. Um, So I've worked on many different substances, uh, including alcohol, marijuana, methamphetamine, and opioids, to to name a few. And since coming to DHS, I've worked on uh, and led efforts to enhance or improve um, the prevention, treatment, and recovery services statewide for the citizens of Wisconsin. That's a lot of experience and sounds like um, similar to what we do at our coalition, that community level change. Right, right. So as the current director of opioid initiatives, can you explain what your role is in that change, recovery and prevention and treatment? Yeah, so I think that, um, you know, with all of our all of our roles, it's kind of tough to sometimes explain everything that we do, but but I like to try and um, explain my role best by putting it into three different buckets. So the first bucket is really coordinating all the DHS efforts to address the opioid crisis in the state. So over the last five to six years, there's been a lot of federal funding that has come down to states to address the opioid crisis. And my so my primary job is to coordinate all of that work, make sure that we're not duplicating efforts, mm-hmm. make sure that we're supporting each other, that everything is as streamlined as can be, so that we can be making the biggest impact possible. The second bucket it would be to act as a liaison to all of our other state agencies. Okay. Given that DHS oversees um, all the work around substance use uh, going on in the state in the prevention, treatment, and recovery realms, we're, we, we have, um, uh, you know, I guess kind of the most going on, but all of our other agencies play a role, whether that be the Department of Children and Families, uh, the Department of Public Instruction, the schools, DOJ from a law enforcement perspective. So making sure that I am a, I, I'm um, communicating with all of those agencies and then that we are partnering on efforts when appropriate. Um, since I have been in this role, I've partnered with all those agencies that I've named as well as, as, well as others I didn't because um, we all need to be working together to really right. make that impact that we need. We can't just be focused on one single area. So again, that also prevents that duplication of efforts and, and, and better just aligning in, in all the work that we're doing. And then that third and last bucket that I try and capture everything in is just working with the many, many partners and stakeholders statewide that we need to, to, to make change and to, to overcome this crisis and all the, all the um, negative impacts that it brings to our state. I like to, in, in, in presentations and speeches that I've given um, at different trainings and conferences, I like to say how it's, it's, 
It's the state's job to lead and to provide guidance. But without all of our partners and stakeholders throughout the state, we, we cannot, they're the ones that are implementing these, right. these efforts, right? These different programs, these different strategies, these different initiatives. And without them, we, we can't do, you know, right. we, we won't see change. We cannot do this alone. Um, so I, so a lot of the, the, the work and the time that I spend in this role is outside of this office here in Madison. I am all over the state on a regular basis meeting with all these different groups and organizations and agencies that in some form or fashion are doing, um, providing some type of services or some type of efforts to address the crisis in Wisconsin. What does the opioid crisis look like in Wisconsin? So the opioid crisis is, you know, one, one of the most unfortunate parts about it nationally as well as in Wisconsin is that it really affects everyone in our state, whether we know it or not. Right. For some of us, it is more direct. It could be a, a family member, it could be a friend, it, it could be obviously the you individually who is struggling with, with some type of um, um, misuse or addiction, addiction to opioids. But, um, but it really touches everybody in, in one way or another. The crisis in Wisconsin here has evolved very similar to the rest of the country. Okay. We all know, I think, now it goes without saying that this really um, originated, stems from um, an overprescribing of prescription drugs. Mm -hmm. um, we then um, saw a transition to higher uses of heroin, uh, and now most recently in the last um, three, two to three years, we, we've seen a real spike in the um, synthetic opioids that have come into the, to the country and made their way to Wisconsin. Primarily that illicit fentanyl right. is what we hear, hear most about and is really the, um, the number one issue. So, um, so we've seen those three waves as the federal government has now began to talk about the opioid crisis. The, the first wave from you know, late 90s into maybe around 2009, 2010 with prescription drugs. That second wave, about 2010, when heroin began to take off, and then that third wave in the last couple of years um, with the illicit synthetics. Um, so that's that's really you know kind of what it looks like in in the state, and and we're trying to address it appropriately as it evolves. Right, which is why you're working with local organizations, so it can be different in different areas of the state. Like it's going to look different in. Northern Wisconsin than South Central Wisconsin. Absolutely, one hundred percent, and that's why it's so important because, on the local at the local level, you know, boots on the ground, right? You know, we we have tons of data, right? right. But hearing from hearing from you and knowing what you are seeing helps us better understand what's going on. You 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 brought up Northern Wisconsin and Northwestern Wisconsin primarily. Um, you know, methamphetamine is truly the number one issue up there, right. but they still have an opioid issue as well, you know, yeah. and again, we have the data, you know, to, to show them that. So, you know, I think they, they don't see as high of a death rate when it comes to opioids in, in the northwestern Wisconsin state, but their hospitalization rate for opioid-related um, incidents is just as high, if not higher, than in south-central or southeastern right. Wisconsin or other ways. So, um it does, it does look different around the state, but I always do like to stress that um, everybody is impacted by it. Some places just obviously at higher levels than right, others. Right, right. So. And for our local listeners, like South Central Wisconsin, what does the opioid 
crisis look like in that area in the state? So, you know, we, um, when I go out and do presentations uh, in, in different areas around the state, I show what I like to refer to as heat maps of the state, mm-hmm. the county, you know, showing all the counties in the state. And it is pretty clear, you know, when you look at that, that South Central, Southeastern Wisconsin, those tend to be our hot spots um, where we do see higher rates of death, overdoses, um, hospitalizations. Um, uh, South, South Central and Southeastern Wisconsin are definitely um, those, what we call higher need areas right. of the state. Um, we have to provide the federal government with basically, we have to prioritize in our, the counties and show what our high need areas are um, when we apply for federal funding so that we can show them that we're not just all willy-nilly putting money here and money right. there, that, yeah. that we that we have um, a plan and a structure in place to do so. And um, several South Central uh, Wisconsin counties typically um, do um, rank in those kind of in those high need areas. Your your Dane, uh, Rock, right. um, depending you know on, on an ebb and flow. Um, your your um, um, uh, Grant. Um, so I'm trying, yes. yeah, I'm trying to picture, I'm trying to picture the map in my head, but you know, you're, you're great, right? Yeah. Like you know, Monroe, Walworth, you know, right. um, you know, um, those, uh, you, you know, those definitely show up, show up as well. Um, but we're always updating the data, right? So right. sometimes it's sometimes, um, you, you know, when we when we look at it at that point in time with the most recent data we have available, um, that's why it kind of ebbs and flows, right. and some counties, you know, show up higher at different points. So how is this crisis different than other drug trends, drug crisis in the past? So I really think that the opioid crisis that our country is currently dealing with is different based on how it began and how I've already spoke a little bit, how it continues to evolve. Right. So, you know, um, it's really unique in that, you know, this, this the crisis that we're currently in, this began from, um, you know, legal prescription drugs and innocent kind of you think right and and um you know i think i think it's well documented now so i won't go super in depth but just really the the miseducation and understanding of around those um prescription drugs and so you know just anyway a quick thing a few things quickly um the belief that they weren't addictive which we now know couldn't be farther from the truth um the belief that they were a good source of treating long-term chronic pain um we now know that that really is not the case at all either um if they're if if they're good for anything it's actually treating that more acute pain right after some type of of trauma happens and that first yes that yes exactly that that short term that one maybe up Mm -hmm. to you know three month period um, when an individual might really be struggling with a high level of pain that they haven't dealt with before that's very impactful to their quality of life um so you know that 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 type of thing that that led us into where um really into this into this epidemic and then and then like i've mentioned uh before already um how it's how it's evolved you know we we learned more about prescription uh, about prescription opioids um the impact they're having we started to make changes um but unfortunately as we have made those changes um you know individuals have over that 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 
that time frame of 10 to 15 years, they became dependent and many did become addicted. And unfortunately, then if we aren't providing those individuals with um, proper access and referral to other pain management alternatives right. or to treatment services if necessary, those individuals, they still need to um, satisfy that addiction and feel that euphoria that they get from it. And so that's how individuals then turn to heroin and right. then, you know, all this, you know, all that yep, type of it's stuff. Easily accessible. Much more accessible, much cheaper. more cheap. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And 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 really the scary th- the scariest thing right now um, with the illicit synthetics is that law enforcement in all their seizures that they're seeing, they're finding uh, fentanyl laced yes. cocaine and methamphetamine and marijuana. Yeah. So all these other individuals that might be using other types of substances, mm-hmm. they don't even know now that they're becoming addicted to this as well. Right. And the potency being so much higher, which is leading to more overdoses and more deaths. So right. that's why I mentioned before that we have to make sure that we're continuing to align our efforts to how this has evolved, or at least as best as possible. Yeah, and you mentioned that part of that transition um, from not being able to have the opioids anymore, that there really should be like a treatment or recovery pathway. How are you working with those communities to develop these programs a lot more and be readily available for people? Yeah, so... um, it's our D- the DHS plan to addressing the opioid crisis is to invest across the continuum of care right. in prevention, treatment, and recovery efforts and services. Right. We know that that is the only way that we're truly going to make an impact and turn the, turn the tide on this and start seeing positive right. outcomes. So on, on the treatment on the treatment side, what we've really tried to do is with with a lot of the federal funding that's come down. Um, um, award grant funding to different organizations um, um, and agencies, federally qualified health centers, um, to increase the ac- increase access to treatment services um, across the state. And um, you know, there's 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 not enough money, um, so that's why that's why we've really targeted those high need areas across right. the state. Um, but we want to make sure that number one, people have better access to services. If they don't, it's less likely that they're going to right. enter those. And then, not just access to to treatment, but making sure that they have access to the appropriate level of care that they need in treatment. Yeah. Um, Medication assisted treatment, which is the gold standard mm-hmm. of treatment for opioid use disorder. There's three different FDA-approved medications that go along with medication-assisted treatment. So if you don't have if if you don't have access to all three forms, there's the there's the chance that you aren't receiving the appropriate level of mm-hmm. care that you need. So that's, that's something that we really you know stress. And then along with that, on the treatment side, making sure that all those other comprehensive services that one needs. Um, you know, on the psychosocial side, so so the counseling, the case right. management, um, we need to make sure that those are available as too, and that we're building up that workforce as well. On the recovery, on the recovery side, um, you know, really putting in efforts to support as wide array of possible of recovery services, since everybody's path to recovery is different. Yeah. 
uh, what, what I need and what you need can look totally different. <laughs> so we need to make sure that we're supporting as many services as possible. And we've put a lot of, um, a, a lot of effort into building that workforce uh, specifically. Uh, recovery coaches and peer support specialists and others, and then making sure that they can be placed in places um, such as emergency departments and hospitals nice. um, where they can have the biggest intervention right. and really connect with folks and try and uh, support that. And then on the prevention side, as mm -hmm. I'm sure you're most aware with, you know, <laughs> right. we really, we, we have a really strong, something we're really proud of, we have a really strong coalition structure here in Wisconsin yeah, throughout the state. And we've really um, prioritized our prevention efforts to as much as possible get funding down to the local level to those coalitions. Uh, where you know they've really prioritized the, the public awareness campaigns around the opioid issue and then also um, uh, medication uh, security collection and, and proper disposal right. efforts yeah. um, that are so important so that we can make sure that those drugs are uh, don't have the opportunity to be diverted right. and, and get out into the onto the street and in, into people's hands yeah we're lucky in Green County we have a medication drop box at every single police department in Green County so it's that's a wonderful. great way yeah, to that's great. people to dispose of that medication so um, you talked about placing people, um, training people, and having them um, building up the workforce, but you also help with kind of training and um, a response to this opioid conference or crisis. Um, in April, you had a conference, a trauma-informed response conference. Can you um, kind of explain what that conference was about and how trauma does impact substance use disorders. Yeah, you know, this is, I'll just start by saying that this is a real priority of the Department of Health Services and has been for, for some time now, for, for several years. And really, um, you know, what we've learned is that trauma is really the root cause to physical, behavioral, emotional, developmental, right. uh, cognitive, you know, social issues, all that stuff. So it's, it's, um, it, it's so much more than substance right. use, right? Yeah. Um, and that's why we've prioritized it and it's, it's so important. So trauma, when unaddressed, can lead to unhealthy choices and unhealthy decision-making and um, to, ma to manage or cope with that trauma. Right. And so one of those can obviously be substance use. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's why um, a conference like this that we uh, sponsored in April was so important to try and help um, service providers just better understand, become better educated on uh, what trauma-informed care is, um, what trauma-informed care um, principles and practices look like. Um, so that individuals can incorporate that into into their practice and to, and into what they um, what what they are providing individuals. So, what that looks like, um, you know, there are there are many principles, but I would say that the first is really being transparent and establishing trust and honesty with that individual. Right. Um, also, being very clear that. Um, what, what you're providing, what you're creating is a safe space with that individual. Um, you're aware that there could be some uh, discomfort or challenge in talking about the trauma, um, but it's a safe space and um, there is no judgment made right. in this area. 
And then something that's really important as well is that the individuals um, understand that um, their voice is important. And and, yeah. Yes, yeah. And, yes, and that um, they have a choice in deci- in decision making that is that is made, in the choices that are made to address you know the substance use issue that they may have. So it's really a, making sure that's clear that this is a collaboration, right? A partnership, and right? All that, yeah. yeah, that's a great word. Yeah, yes, partnership. Yeah. Um, so working together then to to create those um, those positive life changes to address. Um, the substance use issue that you might be dealing with um, and adjust the trauma. Right. So that's what frames the response to the crisis in those individual cases. Right. If we don't, you know, if we don't, when I'm out talking at different places, when I talk about medication-assisted treatment, I always tell people how this alone is a several hour presentation and what I'm going to talk about is very high level. Right. So if you take one thing away from from my talk on medications as a treatment, know that the medication alone is not enough. Right. It is everything else. It is these so so when we talk about trauma informed and trauma informed care and trauma informed response, that's when we really get to that count the counseling side of piece right. that is so important and to understand that if we don't, a perfect example, if we aren't addressing those, that trauma and that root cause and all those underlying factors, the medication alone can't do it. Right. It's not going to make the change. Right. So, so that's why, it's, so that's why it's, it's so important and something that we've really stressed. So it's kind of like um, a multifaceted approach to the crisis. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, 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 com- it's, comprehensive right? right it's a comprehensive right. approach and it's providing all the different types of services and supports that, that are needed so do you think that we've seen kind of the climax of the opioid crisis or is it just are we hopeful that I think <laughs> it's going to start I, decreasing I, I think you took the word out of my mouth okay. i think i think we're hopeful okay we're hopeful um the number one goal for dhs of all that we're doing is reducing the number of opioid related deaths And the number of of deaths from opioids has increased yearly since the late 90s. Now, our provisional data for 2018, which we hope to release in the next month or so, we're we're very confident that we're going to see our first decline in deaths. And that's something um, very positive. And when we look at other data sets as well, um, like uh, hospitalizations, um, you know, inpatient specifically, you know, we, we can we see other positive signs that, that lead us to believe that that you know we're we're beginning to really have an impact. But it, it's way too early to say that we've hit <laughs> we've hit you know a peak yeah. and that we can now expect a continued decrease. But the one thing I always like to stress is that with this with this crisis nationally, the unfortunate part is that we have had to be. 100% reactive. There, there was no, yeah. there was no proactive <laughs> work or thought put into this. Um, and so, when when having to be reactive, one of the unfortunate things is we need time. Mm-hmm. We need time for all these different, you know, efforts, whether they be programmatic or policy or whatnot, to to be implemented. Um, and you know, being from that prevention realm, right? right it, it, it's 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 the long term. It's the long term, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, and and so that's kind of hard for people to understand, and it is tough to hear too, right? Because right. we want that instant 
change. Yeah. Um, but we need time. And so I think that it's appropriate and makes sense that 2018 data might be the first that we see, um, that we start seeing these declines because then we're right about that, you know, four to five year period where we've really made, um, really had the opportunity to start making these, these um, changes throughout the state in prevention, treatment, and right. recovery efforts. So how can, how do you think local community members who are concerned or it's affected them, how can they assist with all these initiatives? So I, I will openly admit some bias here, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I talked about at the beginning my experience, uh, my, my professional experience prior to coming to work here at the Department of Health Services. So um, I'm a big, I'm a big coalition guy. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it, it's the work that I did for, um, you know, over a decade. Yeah. And so I, I really recommend that community members um, connect with their local coalitions. I think that it provides them with a venue to get a sense of what is currently happening within their community and then how can they best fit into that, right? right? Um, you know, you don't just want to do something, yeah. right? Um, figure out what's being done and then figure out where your your personal expertise or experience can best, can best fit in. Um, so, you know, we really encourage... Um, community members to go to the Alliance for Wisconsin Youth website. Uh, on that website, they can um, uh, locate their local coalitions and identify where those are and how to contact them. Uh, and from there, they can uh, get in touch and begin attending meetings and learn more about how they can fit in. Um, the other things I would just add in is, you know, um, our DHS website has tons of information on all the work that we are doing. Um, so taking a look at that and, um, you know, contacting us, which then we'll likely refer to, to you know, <laughs> on to, into groups on the local level, but contacting us to learn more about that is always an option. And um, if you do, if you, if you like to just learn more about what the state is doing, um, if you're to, 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 again, just be aware of things that are going on, if you're interested in wanting to get involved, the hashtag HopeActLiveWI uh, Wisconsin. Um, that is the hashtag that um, the department has used for many many years now. Uh, and so anything that we do when we when we um, award grants, when we're uh, when we're awarded grants, when right. we uh, when a policy change is made, um, you know, as example, the statewide standing order or something like that mm -hmm. is put into effect. We, everything that we do is going to be with that hashtag HopeActLiveWI, and that's how we really encourage uh, community members to stay informed on all those social media platforms. Are you guys on all social media platforms, Twitter and Instagram? And Okay. Yes. All right, nice. <laughs> and I think people would be surprised how many coalitions there are. Green County, Dane County, Rock, I mean, there's so many of mm -hmm. them, so... Yeah, again, we are really, it's something that, um, you know, I go to enough national conferences and it's something that, um, like I said, Wisconsin, we are really proud of here in Wisconsin and uh, many states uh, around the country look to us as a model for right. uh, 
community-based um, coalitions addressing substance use issues. And we typically, for, for a long time now, um, through the Alliance for Wisconsin Youth, which uh, which we support and I know you're a member of, yeah. you know, we, we've always, we've typically hovered around, right around that 100 number for coalitions. Is it is, um, you know, statewide. And we have, um, you know, in South Central Wisconsin, through um, Dane County, uh, Rock County, and then uh, Green County as well. Um, you know, something that's so great in, in that area is that there's multiple coalitions in all those counties. Um, so it's, it's not, it's not uh, you know, in, in a lot of cases, it's not one um, uh Coalition, yeah. you know, trying to take on the whole. In some cases, there is, and, and it work, you know, it works really well. Right. Um, you know, but it's it's great, and you know, when there are multiple coalitions in a county, just to give people uh, even more support in their areas. Right. Yeah, and I don't think people realize that some of those coalitions even work together. Yes. You know, and that's great such point. a great partnership as well. Great point. Because yeah. it's all about leveraging resources it and is. time, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you today and have you on the show. Okay. Thank you. Thank you again for the invitation. Really appreciate yeah, you're it. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to another episode of Clear Thinking, brought to you by Better Broadhead. For information of upcoming events and meetings, please visit our website at betterbroadhead.org and be sure to subscribe to our email list.